Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another fantastic edition of the Hard in the Paint podcast, the NBA podcast, where we ask the hard questions about the NBA. I'm your host, again, joined by Michael. And today we've got a triple feature of NBA team previews for the upcoming NBA season. And let's just hop right into it. Uh, so first off, uh, to sort of recap, we we did Atlanta and Orlando last time, but now we're at a Western Conference here with the Phoenix Suns. Uh, so how does the Suns fan base feel right now, Michael? I think they're thinking it's a lot like Quicksilver. Kind of hearing flashes, kind of goes away. Maybe has some potential, but probably ultimately a really disappointing character. Just like they're going to have a really disappointing season, despite all the hype. And the hype mostly comes from a pretty young core in their starting five. Uh, Point guard, you got Devin Booker, uh, who really should probably move to shooting guard. I mean, they really need a guy who can probably play the point and slide Booker over, and that would probably unlock a lot of this potential with the Suns team. But currently at the two-guard, they have Mikhail Bridges. Three would be the veteran Trevor Ariza. Four, Dragon Bender. And five, the number one pick from last year's draft, DeAndre Ayton. That's, uh, you know, on, on sort of that potential paper uh, lineup, that doesn't seem too bad. You know, you've got... Uh, sort of one of these sort of Kobe prodigy type players and Devin Booker. Everyone's saying, you know, him and Aiton can be the new Shaq and Kobe. However, you know, preseason only can show so much, but Aiton looked pretty good in that in that first game I saw. Uh, I think it was yesterday. So, how 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 do they round out this roster, Michael? Uh, rounding out the our roster, you got. Perennial big man wanderer Tyson Chandler. Dumbass Josh Jackson. Complete contract killer Ryan Anderson. And our boy TJ Warren. There we go. But the interesting thing about the Suns team is Devin Booker is by far their premier player. I think he's about 22 years old going into the season. And I think he's actually younger than rookie Mikhail Bridges. Which is kind of hilarious to think about. Because their coach, Igor Krikalov, is also relatively young. I think he's in his early 40s, uh, despite having like 20 years of like coaching experience. So you got a lot of weird young dynamicism with this group, where you kind of feel like the coach and the, the, the kids are all going to kind of grow up and figure out the NBA together. Um, but the Western Conference is a bloodbath. So they're either going to grow up quick or uh, they're going to be put out to pasture real early in the season. I don't know if if we want a uh, sort of full house of young talent right now. Ariza is kind of this ideal mentor position for, you know, essentially Devin Booker and Mikhail Bridges and DJ Warren, who, of course, is our NC State boy. However, been kind of stuck in this weird role in phoenix and hasn't quite found it for himself yet yeah phoenix for quite a few years there for the last like three maybe even four years they sort of had this weird everyone on the team is basically a small forward and now they finally have kind of structured this team with a big man and a guard and you know these other kind of pieces to make it look more realistic as opposed to just kind of kind of having five uh small forwards on the floor at one time and it's one of those things uh you know it's been sort of a long rebuilding process here for the suns looking at them you know, i think it was maybe three or four years ago back when they were trying to sort of be this three guard offense with bledsoe and Dragic and it4 had tyson chandler uh, you know, trades happened, this, that, and the other thing happened, and they kind of been in this m- rebuild mode, but really haven't found that calling card. And you could say it's Devin Booker, of course. Recently, we reported here on the podcast that he broke his hand riding a bike with no handlebars. 
However, there's a little bit of hope, a little bit of light at the end of the tunnel right now for the general Phoenix fan base, you know. Jack and Kobe thing. I'm not seeing the comparison. Uh, I, I personally don't think it'll ever be that good. How could we ever have like such a generational talent as either of them again? However, there is a few ways this team can still break the NBA, as our friend Mike likes to say. And one of those is Mr. Bridges himself, Mikhail Bridges, has the championship DNA necessary to sort of pull this team together out of its bootstraps of mediocrity. They had a great time at Villanova, obviously, back when they won, I believe it was two years ago, three years ago. I can't remember. Last year. Last year. You know, and, all, two year, uh, and three years ago. So they've won two titles in the last three years. I was I was half right. Uh, I'll take it. <laughs> you know, he's kind of just one of those six six, um, almost like a a big version of like Marcus Smart, but less defense and a little more three point shooting percentage, in my opinion. Kind of like a kind of like a Bradley Beal then. Yeah, a, li a little more of a willing to get in there and get a little a little feisty with people, a little a little down in the dirt, but still a much better three point shooter than I think. Uh, his stats really led on and with the kind of floor spacing that this team could provide with Dragon Bender being a, a stretch four that hasn't really gotten a lot of good playing time and Aiton being able to take people off the bounce too yeah they could play five out with this team and uh, obviously he would be a great asset in spacing that floor additionally you know everybody's mindset is on Devin Booker right now He's probably the number one guy you can look to and say, yeah, he's going to probably be the captain of this team for the next five years. Obviously signed a huge deal. Uh, I believe it was 30 million plus a year. So his, 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 um, what am I looking for? His club and then his organization are kind of just all in on him. Oh, and he's honestly for how young he is, you know, he's a fantastic pick and roll player. We kind of saw it at his times in college, but in a pick and roll league where basically just a big switch fest, and I look for him to potentially be an all NBA player this year. Oh, wow. That, that is high praise. I, I, I really like the Devin Booker, Mikhail Bridges backcourt. I think, you know, Booker's going to give you a lot of points. And hopefully now that he's got kind of a, a, you know, a partner there, his assists will kind of rise. He's, you know, he's been averaging around a 25-5 for the last two years. But with Bridges, it kind of opens up the floor for Booker to also kind of take his three-point attempts. You know, Booker's kind of a notorious three-point shooter too. And so both these guys are pretty big uh, three-point guys, you know, knockdown shooters. And then Bridges has the actual size of being a, a six foot six two guard. So he can kind of, you know, shirk off some of that defensive responsibility that Booker has sort of kind of had to do the last two, three years that, you know, he can't really do because of just his size and, you know, how much he has to do on offense. But I think Bridges will kind of bring some balance to this team. Uh, in a lot of ways, that DeAndre Ayton kind of does that at the five spot. You know, this kind of uh, rim runner on one end, lane blocker on the other. It's really nice to see. Uh, maybe this team's two to three years away and too young in many respects, but you know, uh, sort of historically, the past couple of years, they've been one of the few teams to sort of keep up the pace with the Golden States and the Houstons in terms of just putting up sheer volume of points. It's it's kind of like one of those Wild West shootout teams where it's like uh, final score is going to be like 140 to 130 or something like that and not even going into overtime. And I definitely see the pieces there for that to exist, which is an exciting brand of basketball, in my opinion. No one likes to see, uh, you know, 2010 Bulls happen again, so... It's important to realize that somehow Ryan Anderson got shipped off from Houston onto this team in maybe one of the dumbest deals of the offseason, or at least off one-sided deals. But let's not forget, you know, on, on the Houston team, he was a, kind of stuck in a bad spot defensively 
with Clint Capella and PJ Tucker there, and then you'd get a switch onto Ryan Anderson, and it'd just be the whoever offense on Ryan Anderson. However, with Aiton there uh, backing you up, Reza still there. Maybe they can get away with it on this team. Uh, they're obviously less defensive focused than Houston is, and at at a level of not being a championship contender, you can get away with that a little bit more. So I'd look for him to uh, maybe have a little bit of a comeback in the league for the sort of bad rap he had last year. Yeah, I mean, that contract's a lot of dead weight, but the good point is, apart from Booker, a lot of these deals, and maybe kind of Ariza, but a lot of these deals are relatively cheap for them. Mikhail Bridges and DeAndre Ayan on those rookie contracts. Josh Jackson uh, is still on that rookie contract. So, you know, at least for the next two years, Phoenix can at least play around with this Ryan Anderson experiment. And maybe the new coach can kind of unlock his game a little bit more. And so our friend Zach Lowe over at the Low Post podcast has, uh, of course, given us a nice mailbag question for team. And they have asked us, can TJ Warren learn to become Trevor Ariza? And, you know, this is actually uh, very much within the realm of possibility, in my opinion. TJ Warren, ACC Player of the Year, uh, roughly the same size as Ariza, a little bit heavier, a little bit stronger guy, kind of like the uh, Harrison Barnes body type. Obviously, his three-point shooting hasn't really taken off too much in the past couple years, and maybe that's due to a system change that will help him out a lot more, which I think he, with the current roster and the current coaching, I think they can really utilize his three-point shooting more. But he's always kind of at heart been more of a mid-range guy. Well, I can kind of post up a little bit here and there. Maybe they could use him in that way as well. But it's the defense of Ariza is kind of, I think, has been his calling card here the past couple years. 3 and D. And TJ, good body size, so it should translate over pretty well. It's just a matter of will he sort of accept any tutelage that Ariza can provide. Yeah, it might be kind of interesting with if you have, you know, Trevor off and TJ on the court, Booker's kind of doing a pick and roll with TJ. And so because you have the four spacing out there with Mikhail Bridges and possibly DeAndre Ayton, who can kind of uh, kind of drift out a little bit. So that might actually kind of open up the lane for TJ to kind of do more stuff kind of, you know, kind of the half block sort of range, you know, that kind of uh, eight to 13 footer um, that he can probably do kind of on one side, you know, there might be some kind of interesting pick and roll combinations. I might see with Devin Booker and not Deandre, Ian, but maybe like another, just uh forward on that team. Yeah. And you know, at thinking of body type defenders from Houston, maybe he can be a little PJ Tucker esque. You know, I don't, I don't know if he's got that cloth of bulldogishness, but you know, certainly he has a sort of a similar game opinion speaking of my opinion this is the part of the episode where i give a uh outlandish prediction about the phoenix team and my opinion of phoenix team through what the spirits of the nba are telling me is that this will be the worst team in the league you you know the kings exist right so maybe this is due to me watching some of the Kings games over the past couple days. Oh, no. Oh, no. Uh, I've recently had a come-to-Jesus moment with Buddy Heald. <laughs> I believe this is his year, and I believe oh my God. that this is a reasonable team to get. Oh you know, let's take take Devin Booker out of this lineup. This has got to be the worst team in the NBA, right? I, I don't think so. We've discussed Orlando, who... You know, even if even with a full roster in Orlando, they don't have a point guard. If you think he technically Booker doesn't out, have a point guard, yeah, but I mean, Devin Booker can kind of learn, right? So, like, I think another thing Trevor Reese is going to bring to the table is this kind of James Harden learning experience where James Harden was a two guard and now he basically plays point. Devin Booker can learn to do the same thing. I mean, he's he, last year he put up 25 and five. I mean, those are point guard numbers. Let's not forget, though, the first couple of years James Harden was trying to do this two-guard, point-guard thing. 
he was leading the league in turnovers very substantially. Yeah, but a lot of that has to do with uh, the Kevin McHale system and you have to get the ball to Dwight and just a lot of garbage. I mean, CP3 kind of helped that team along of, you know, focusing on the game while you're in the game sort of thing. And Devin Booker, you take him off his team, you got TJ Warren who's a playmaker. Now, Maybe Mikhail Bridges. I have faith in our TJ Warren, but Devin Booker himself, I don't know, can uh, can be that such a dynamic force that he will lift this team out of whatever tank scenario that they are predestined by the NBA gods to withhold for this year. Um, so would this team be better with like a Nate Robinson guy then? I believe so. I believe this team absolutely could use like a 2012 Nate Robinson. A little more mature, a little more, uh, you know, follow the system, a little more pass first kind of guy. I mean, just think how great, you know, the atmosphere would be with like Nate, Devin Booker, and DeAndre. It'd be like a sort of young thug type deal going on. And honestly, who the heck... Like, I, I still don't get on this team who matches up with the opposing point guard. Like, you just put a Reza on him and then have your their star wing tear you to pieces. Like, you need to have some, at least a little bit of size disparity here so that you get that good coverage for how many dynamic guards are in the league. I think Mikhail Bridges could, could guard. Kind of like, like a Clay Thompson when you think about it. He's a bit big for a two-guard. That's a lot of faith. I'm not sold on that faith. But you know who is sold on the faith? That is First Swagwell. They absolutely love this team for one particular player and probably the best reason. That is former NC State player TJ Warren, of course. Such a fantastic career on that collegiate level. Single-handedly carried that team to a a substantial amount of victories. Got them to the ACC tournament. Got him to the NCAA tournament, and of course they lost, as always. However, we still have our Wolfpack pride and joy, TJ Warren, to root for. So what's our verdict on this team? Are we more or less thrilled with the Phoenix Suns than a $5 Taco Bell combat box? I am, like, extremely on edge about this one. It'll take me, like, watching... I'll probably watch a game or two, because it's honestly exciting to see them play someone like Golden State or Houston just for the sheer volume of points that go off. But at the same time, I don't have very high hopes for this team. We'd like to thank Sam Adams for sponsoring this episode of Heart in the Paint podcast. Uh, of course, Sam Adams, it is that time of year where it's socially acceptable to drink pumpkin spiced on Oktoberfest-style beers and beverages, and there's no better company to do that with than Sam Adams with their pumpkin ale. It's a roasted malty beverage with a high amount of pumpkin spice notes. Again, we always uh, encourage you to drink responsibly, but uh, head on down to your local grocery and pick up a pumpkin ale of Sam Adams, sponsor of today's Hardened Paint podcast. And speaking of sponsoring, the NBA team that obviously the league is conspiring to sponsor for this upcoming season is the New York Knicks. Next preview team for this year. So if I'm a Knicks fan... What what is my fan base mindset going on right now, Michael? So, do you remember from the first Avengers movie? Uh, came out of twenty twelve. You know how the end was kind of in New York City. It's kind of like showdown between the aliens and those core, you know, four, five, six first Avengers that kind of played out, and the whole backdrop was like New York City and Captain America can take charge because. You know, he's from Queens or Brooklyn or the Bronx or one of those boroughs. And so he's a New York guy and he knows how to stop the aliens. And, you know, it was kind of this nice, like, 
sort of like reflective moment, you know, in kind of the 9-11 context of um, a disaster hits New York City, but, you know, this time it's kind of like, you know, Captain America prevails. Okay, I'm those are kind of Those are kind of the vibes that New York hopes to achieve. They hope to achieve a blockbuster team of free agents next year. You know, Kyrie and Jimmy Butler and Kemba all assembled together. Take on the Western Conference alien team that is Golden State. The problem is, at best, the Knicks will only have one Avenger. That Avenger will be the Incredible Hulk. The one who will show up one game and go all out, smashing the other team to pieces. And then the next game is unwilling to fight because he's reverted to his bitch-ass scientist self. New York Knicks are the Incredible Hulk. Every time we think, man, there should be a Hulk movie. These guys are so good, but the Hulk is the badass. He needs his own thing. That's when we get our hopes up for the New York Knicks. And every time, we are very disappointed. There's never been a good Hulk movie. There's never been a good Godzilla movie. Not a coincidence that New York has been the center of both. But New York does have one thing, and that is their pizza. That is probably the most convincing fan base I've heard yet from you. I'm so impressed. Well, you know, Adam Silver's got me convinced, man. The conspiracy is real with the New York Knicks. In 2020, they're going to be good. They'll figure it out. The next year, don't expect a lot. So the Knicks have, uh, I believe they played a preseason game the other night. And of course, their starting five was another than first round draft pick of last year's fame, Frankie... Something no one can pronounce. The Tilakina, bro. The toes that kill you. Yep. Spot on. (laughs) Of course, those guys, it slowly grew on them, I think, over the course of the season. And it looks like his uh, offense has improved over the training this year. He shot some pull-up threes in the game last night, so that was pretty impressive. Number two at their two-guard spot. Essentially three, depending on how they like to play it. Kevin Knox. I think everybody's probably like sleeper Donovan Mitchell pick for this upcoming season. He's sort of that uh, do-it-all, almost Devin Booker-like two-guard that has a little bit better defensive uh, intuition. is a little bit lankier. Then you have the returning Tim Hardaway Jr., he was on this team back when Mello was uh, three or four years ago. He was a rookie back then, but now he's got his experience under his belt and can potentially be that star 2-3 guard that they have been kind of needing for since I, as long as I can remember. And of course, at the 4 and the 5, you have this mixture of an Achilles-less uh, Porzingis Ennis Cantor uh, on manhunt from the Turkish government, and then a no-knees Joakim Noah. So we'll see which one of those three actually gets starting time where. But of course, the biggest question for this team is Porzingis' health, which we'll talk more about later. So who rounds out the bench for this team? It's kind of a weird motley crew of guys, because they're really only split into guards and forwards. Um, they don't really have too many big men on this team, apart from Joakim Noah, Enos Cantor, Mitchell Robinson, who might look like a bright prospect. At the guard, they have Ron Baker and Trey Burke. You know, this Trey Burke, uh, Frank Natalikina kind of combination, you know, I think it's kind of one of those where you shake the snow globe and hopefully one of them kind of drops out and can be a competent point guard. I haven't really seen it from Trey Burke after all the college hype. And then in the forward spots, it's kind of log jammed. You got Courtney Lee, longtime vet, Noah Vonley, Moutier, Lasagna, Alonzo Tier, and Luke Cornett. So, you know, you got kind of interesting pieces, but that's kind of all you have with this Knicks team. It's like 
oh, peace, 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 peace. But it's like, who do you build this team around when Kristaps Porzingis is probably not going to play until at best February, if at all this year? Yeah, so well, I think the direction of the Knicks is to tank it out and maybe figure it out in the next summer. It, it definitely feels like that. You know, reading off a lot of those names, there are a lot of... Um... Players that, that never really found a home anywhere, never really got a calling card together. I mean, a lot of those guys are still pretty young. Ron Baker, you know, Trey Burton, Moody A, Hazonia, they didn't really stick with where they got drafted. And it seems like these are potential trade assets for this impending folk season that could occur. But that begs us to question if there's a way that this team can break the NBA this season. And I'll leave this one up to use this time since I did the last one. This team is breaking the NBA, but not in the right way. They're doing it kind of the worst possible way. Maybe the worst way out of all teams that we have on this preview list. They are breaking the NBA because they are bucking trend and not going with the three. Last year's team high three-point percentage knockdown shooter, Courtney Lee. Who would have guessed at 40.6%. That is shockingly awful moving forward as a team. Behind him was Christoph Porzingis, who's obviously down. Michael Beasley, who's now with the Lakers. And Doug McDermott, who's with the Pacers, I believe. Yes, so, I think so. Apart from Courtney Lee, all the rest three-point shooters are all gone. <laughs> and, you know, just kind of it's like the rest of New York Knicks and uh, James Dolan's town. The Knicks have kind of, you know, middled out into mediocrity a little too much. They've kind of adjusted themselves to not really even playoff contending good and not really horrifically bad. That may be the worst way to be. It's basically just borderline incompetence when you look at their playoff success over the last 20 years. The last time the Knicks were even in the playoffs, 2013. Why? Because Melo had that one amazing season. And also, yeah, Lynn Sanity. The last time the Knicks made the Eastern Conference Finals? 2000. 2000. Do you realize that the freshmen in most colleges today were not born the last time the Knicks made the Eastern Conference Finals? The last time the Knicks were even in the Finals was 99 at the tail end of the Ewing era. And the last time the Knicks won a title was in 1973. 45 years ago. And that was back when they had a pretty decent trend of uh, they made three out of four final appearances and won two titles. Yeah, that's, that was a much different era of basketball for sure. That I mean, it's kind of surreal how bad the Knicks have been in the last 20 years. And when you start looking at some of these draft picks, it kind of makes sense. You know, I mean, when you start looking at some of these, you know, guys that they drafted by the Knicks who are not even on this team anymore, and then you kind of flip it, and it's like the guys who are on this team are guys who weren't with their original teams that drafted them. So it's kind of just a, a checkpoint on kind of a different journey here for the Knicks. There's, there's so, a lot of the, the notion of, oh, you got to zig when everyone else is zagging. You know, you see this with... You know, like San Antonio is probably the best example of that this year where they're bracing the mid-range and everyone else is pacing space threes or Toronto trying to do like an all-defense type thing. But this team, it looks like they're trying to set up to zig or zag when no one else is. However, they're so incompetently organized and managed that they are just in that in the hyphen. They aren't really zigging or zagging. They're still in the the hyphen of that word and they kind of just need to fully commit somewhere it feels like and you know it's hard to do when your your star players are injured and you lost a ton of guys in the off season and you've had all these uh, russian roulette of coaches throughout the past four years and obviously you've got a maniac known as james dolan in your front office not to mention the path of destruction that phil jackson left uh, yeah, so it, it's not been an easy road here for Knicks fans. Uh, however, they do have something to look forward to next summer. 
Yes, the, the media buzz is stirring heavily, and so is the secret messages of Adam Silver. So this begs us to answer Zach's question about who's going to come here next year and who's leaving, because there ain't enough roster spots for all these stars that say they want to be New York players. Yeah, it's it's really weird. I mean, here, let me read out a list of names for you, and you... Tell me, like percentage-wise, where you think they might end, where, if they, if they might end up with the Knicks. Kevin Durant, thirty percent. Kawhi, zero. Clay, uh, ten. Kyrie, that one's like sixty-five, right? Kyrie and Jimmy Butler, seventy-five percent for the duo. Kemba. I'll give, I'll give him like a 40%. And then these last few I'm going to project out. Anthony Davis. 5% chance. John Wall. Be like a 25 to 30. And Ben Simmons. 90% chance. Oh my. So let's, let's think about this in the grand context of over the course of a couple of years. So we've got, you know, Kyrie came out in the Boston Celtics game the other day and said, if you guys got me back, I'll stay here. And that's a, uh, that, you know, Celtics fans are loyal as all get out, but, you know, Kyrie's a Jersey boy. That team could use a point guard that can score. Something they don't have, a go-to guard. Additionally, they need a go-to defensive player. Who better than Jimmy Butler? And then better yet, why not get another rotational, can-do-it-all, small forward in Kevin Durant? And then you combo all that with a guy that can pass everybody the ball in Ben Simmons? Just imagine the sequential dominoes of Kyrie next year, and then Jimmy Butler the year after, then Kevin Durant the year after that, and then Ben Simmons when he gets off his next extension. That would be why? insane. I mean, it sounds about as insane as a team-up of Captain America, Iron Man, Hulk, and Thor in New York City. They all needed times to produce those movies, to you know, get the marketing campaign set, to, to get the final editorial cuts in. You know, you got to have this you know, four-year window of, all right, we'll get everybody their first movie. And then they all come together to make the critically acclaimed Avengers movie series. So what are you saying for the Knicks' future here, clairvoyant Matt? My prediction is it's probably the easiest prediction I've made, but Porzingis isn't going to play any games this year. That's that's actually a sneaky, bold claim there. Not a single game? So let's think about all the things that can go wrong. Uh, <laughs> so the My Knicks, favorite with the Knicks. <laughs> right, so the Knicks, uh, obviously... The playoff push is not really a thing with this team right now. They're in no hurry to do well. They just want to show that they have enough assets and enough promise to be an attractive free agency destination. But what better way to do that than give Porzingis all the time in the world he needs to come back from this injury? Maybe he goes, flies over to Germany and does some Kobe junk with being miraculously better. But keep him on the sidelines, you know. Maybe you give him... 10 minutes coming off the bench in dumpster time in April. I'd say don't even worry about playing the guy. Why risk trying to injure him again or have him come back too soon? Or everyone knows this guy is fantastic. You know, no one gives him anything but praise in the media and the basketball world. Why risk sort of uh, tampering any good reputation he has right now? <laughs> Especially with how brutal the New York fan base can be. I'd say just and keep them on the down low. Give us some of those Instagram workout videos. You know, make us question, oh man, why aren't they playing Porzingis? And then have Stephen A. give you the same answer I'm giving you. Keep them on the bench. And then when next year rolls around and it's training camp time and you got Kyrie and Porzingis playing with each other, have everybody go absolutely bananas. And that's what I think is going to end up happening to my... Favorite player from that draft year. So let's uh, let's talk about uh, real quick. 
Would this team be better if they magically reacquired Nate Robinson? I don't think so, because he doesn't really help with distributing the ball. And I think they actually have a decent amount of shooting on this team between Kevin Knox, Tim Hardaway, Courtney Lee, Trey Burke's going to put up shots, Moody is going to put up shots, Zonia is going to put up shots. What they need is a, is just a guy who can distribute the ball between these guys who are going to pump up threes or these long-range two-footers or the big, the, the you know, motley crew of big men that they have. I absolutely I would agree with you on this one. I don't think they need him. You know, they've got a pretty decent sort of defensive starting guards and then Trey Burke for that bench plug spot that I guess Nate would fill. They really need uh, another kind of go-to center slash power forward. I think Nate's a no-no for me. Let's jump into why first Bagwell loves the New York Knicks. And it comes down to two guys. Coach David Fisdale, new coach of the New York Knicks, David Fisdale. New general manager, Scott Perry. We got some, we got some change here in the, the executive office as well as on the court coaching. Fisdale kind of, you know, more of an aggressive, defensive-minded coach from those kind of Miami days and Memphis grit and grind style. So hopefully this team improves on defense first and then focuses uh, on free agency to bump up their offensive production. You know, that would be a pretty decent balance is Fizdale kind of gets the defense right, and then you can kind of go out and search for offensive talent that will kind of fit into that style of defense. And with Scott Perry... As a guy looking for that search, might be the right man to make the move. Bit of a rundown of Scott Perry lost 15 years here. From 2003 to 2008, he was the in the executive office for the Detroit Pistons, which included six straight Eastern Conference final appearances and one title. That 04 Detroit team, which took down those 04 Lakers, putting an end to the end of Kobe and Shaq and Karl Malone. And then he went to Seattle, where he drafted Kevin Durant, the second best player in the league. And then from there, he went to Orlando, where he drafted Oladipo and Aaron Gordon and Mario Hazania. Not a bad slate. And it wouldn't surprise me if Scott Perry, you know, if he can't really make these moves on some of these big hitters next year, maybe they look to make a deal with Orlando and bring Aaron Gordon to the New York Knicks. Not an awful uh, projection. I didn't. I did not realize Scott Perry was a part of those Detroit team. Fair that. Yeah, it looks like maybe the Knicks outside of James Dolan might be in some capable hands. That is that is good signs for all of our Knicks listeners out there. I know you're a big crowd. You always send us a bunch of hate mail about it. But let's get to the the really the big question about the Knicks, and that's is. Are we more excited about the Knicks than a $5 Taco Bell box? Now, no. For the future, yes. I think we're excited for them not playing basketball on the court, but we're excited for them about whatever media presence they might have and whatever talking points might be going around here in the next couple months. You know, that whole buzz about who's coming, who wants Joel to be Embiid. a New York player. Joel Embiid. Oh, absolutely. Oh, bring Why in not? Joel Embiid. You know, why not even bring in Steph? You missed him in the draft. Why not try and bring him back? <laughs> yeah, they're going to go for anybody and anybody that's a star. And it's going to be fantastic to be a part of the hundreds of rumors that are going to go out here in the next season of play. And speaking of draft and trade rumors, let's hop into the biggest trade of the offseason that got left behind. That is, where the heck are the Cavs now? How is Cleveland's fan base feeling about their new LeBronless team? The Marvel fan base in Cleveland right now. Sort of optimistic. Pretty much apprehensive. Why, it's Iron Man, of course, with all of the anxiety. Cleveland is a team that had the ultimate superhero. He has moved on 
He has traded in his small hometown for the big city. Kind of the end of an era is kind of an approaching. Kind of been a long time coming, if you ask me. It's kind of been in the stars for about two years. You know, kind of over that, you know, first kind of rumblings of Kyrie kind of wants out. Kevin Love is bidding out. And so Iron Man seems like an appropriate choice. You know, it kind of kicked off this whole era, right? LeBron has kind of been here for like 10 years, you know. LeBron has been the best player in the world. And for 10 years, Iron Man was the guy for the Marvel Cinematic Universe. But it seems like the time is coming to an end. You know, LeBron is reaching the end of his prime. Cleveland kind of had this era of relevance. And that seems to be going away. Well, let's jump into the starting five. You know, it's hard to be Iron Man when your super suit is now in L.A. And you're, the only real bright spot you have is that art core in your chest. That guy for this team, of course, is draft pick Colin Sexton, who I think a lot of people are really sleeping on in terms of uh, upside in the league. You know, he's he's one of these guards that can kind of score from anywhere, very good pick-and-roll player, good distributor, high amount of athleticism. I'm actually going to probably watch a game or two, as much as I hate Cleveland, I'm going to watch a game or two of Colin Sexton pretty in-depth because I feel like he's... If he's not too far off the Donovan Mitchell pathway of, you know, 15 and 6, you know, this team could be a potential playoffs. Well, that is extremely high praise, and you are way out of bounds on that. Colin Sexton will be closer to Trey Burke than he will be Donovan Mitchell. I can guarantee it. Well, you know, speaking of players uh, from last year, the Cavs obviously kept most of their core. So they got J.R. Smith still, who honestly probably the most topical news is he's got to cover up a Supreme tattoo on his right calf uh, due to sort of, I guess, branding rules in the NBA or something like that. He's going to get fined every game that's not covered. Uh, so that's been wild. Uh, it's probably a debate for, for another time. Uh, and they still have three-point extraordinaire Kyle Korver. They still have three-point extraordinaire Kevin Love. And they still have the Curse of the Kardashians, Tristan Thompson, uh, really being their only rebounder at that starting position. So maybe you say on paper those bottom four guys aren't really good enough to get you anywhere, but if Colin Sexton's you know, worth his draft pick... Maybe they can be a fringe eighth seed. Now we're talking. So looking at the rest of the rotation, we have Jordan Clarkson, who had an absolute meltdown at the tail end of the playoff run last year for Cleveland. Chetty Osman, who kind of we everyone's kind of weirdly optimistic about, despite not really having any playing time. Rodney Hood, who should have added all of Jordan Clarkson's minutes last. Uh, last year, Channing Fry, big man, good vet. Larry Nance Jr., another f- kind of small ball five, and the guy who always gets hurt when you always expect it, George Hill. Yeah, so obviously that, that bench mob there, uh, there's potential there. I mean, they've been through a lot of playoff experience. However, you got very inconsistent players on that for the eighth, ninth, tenth spots. I mean, Rodney Hood just straight up didn't want to play games last year. Yep. He barely got signed, re-signed in the offseason this year. You're looking at George Hill, obviously, and plays probably potentially the worst defense at the point guard spot and always gets injured. You got Jordan Clarkson, who just magically forgets how to touch a basketball every other game. So I'm not very confident about that bench mob without someone to do all of the distributing duties and sort of keep them in check. But the real trick here is Kevin Love. You know, he's a guy that, you know, four years ago we were saying was top three power forwards in the league. I mean, this guy was putting up like 20 and 20. Yeah, he was like a top 12, top 13 player in the league. He was like like a build-around guy. Yeah, he was like a definitive all-NBA guy. You know, we could pencil that in and we could sleep soundly at night. He was in, you know, he was... 
he wasn't even a great three-point shooter back then either. It was before the real three-point pace and space picked up a whole lot. So his last four years in, in his time in Minnesota, he was, he was getting about 20 to 26 points uh, pretty regularly. There was one year he got a little bit low, but... I think he was injured that year. I think he had a bit of a knock. He's had, he's had, he does have an interesting injury history, which may or may not give you some pause with the shoulders. Uh, his three-point percentage, of course, has, has show, course, shot up over those years. He's averaging about 40% from three, which is great for a big man. And his rebounding numbers were 15, 13, 14, you know, 12 and a half. You know, those are great if you're averaging more than 10. Uh, especially being the sort of guy you game plan for on that team. So, uh, additionally, in his time in Cleveland, he's gotten way better at shooting free throws, which was maybe one of his knocks back in the day. And he's still shooting a pretty uh, above league average amount, about 37, 38% from three. So I would expect... Kevin Love to be the new focal point of this team, not as a distributor, but as a scorer. So we could definitely see a return to form, I think. Maybe the athleticism's a little bit gone, but the skill is definitely still there as we saw last year. Yeah, I think if they can get Kevin, if they can just keep feeding Kevin Love the ball with through Colin Sexton, and Kyle Korver can consistently hit a shot kind of at the three but like a cross court from wherever kevin love is it's like kevin love you might have kind of down on the block sort of you know baseline and then kyle corver on kind of the opposite side uh you know kind of on on that side and then really it kind of comes out to tristan thompson can tristan thompson be you know an intimidating force inside can he get rebounds kick back out of kyle corver and kevin love and jr smith and colin sexton you know, these guys who can shoot the three. And Tristan Thompson kind of do some of the grunt work inside so that way it kind of frees up for Kevin Love to really do his thing. And, you know, if Kevin Love, if we get something like a 25-10 season next year, that would be awesome. You know, That's that, potentially all-NBA Eastern Conference. I mean, that pretty much kind of showcases you know one of the one of the kind of knocks that we saw when lebron left miami was there was you know there was no chris bosh kind of left there was no Dwayne wade kind of left you know it's almost like they disappeared from that miami team when lebron went back to cleveland and so you know it'll be kind of interesting to see whether or not kevin love can kind of maintain some relevance now that the nba ground has shifted to this kind of pace and space you know something that was so radically different than when he first joined Cleveland in the summer of 2014. Another guy that is personally one of my favorite players in the league, but has really slumped here ever since he left Utah, is Rodney Hood. This is a guy that I think, you know, so, nothing's been going right for this guy. Not some of it's injury, a lot of it's just, I, I, I don't know, something's off with him, but he definitely has that uh, poor potential in the league he's got a great body shape for it you know he's a long guy tall for his position the techniques there this is a guy that was scoring about 14 points per game last year uh, about 37 from three you know maybe some of it was he wasn't getting as many touches with you know utah being as good as they are now and then lebron being in cleveland and he got mixed up you know halfway through the year and this that and the other but this is a guy that I think really should be probably starting for this team that is kind of right in the bench off some bad mojo. But this is maybe one of their ways they could surprise people this year and start breaking the NBA. Yeah, I mean, if Ronnie can have a good season, Cavs are going to be pretty, pretty good. And you know, it kind of kind of leads us into the sneaky big question of the Cleveland Cavaliers. Can this team make the playoffs without LeBron? This is a hard one, personally. You know, when you when you get those first four seeds out of the East done, okay, it's pretty obvious. Those next four, it's a little less obvious about who's where. But I personally think that this team, I see a potential 
that it's not outside of the realm of possibility that this team could make the playoffs. It'd be a very low seed, in my opinion, like seven or eight. But there's definitely, you know, they still have the championship vibe there. They still know how to play in the playoffs. They don't have a ton of young guys. You know, these are mostly vets at this point. So they could definitely make some noise. Maybe maybe they get an offseason trade somewhere that really puts them over the, the tipping point to get in the playoffs. Or yeah, I have, them, I have them penciled in at the 7 in the East right now, which on paper would mean, in you know, if the playoffs started kind of today on my paper standings, I suppose, they would play the Toronto Raptors. And I feel like Kawhi would absolutely destroy this team. If you throw J.R. Smith at him, you're done. You throw Kyle Korver at him, you're done. You throw Rodney Hood at him, you're done. You throw Jordan Clarkson on him, you're done. You throw Larry Nance on a switch, you're done. If Kawhi can get his uh, his his claws into this team, they're going to be wrecked. But they will at least have made the playoffs with a LeBronless team focusing around Kevin Love. That's pretty good just when you think about it compared to the last couple times LeBron hasn't been on a team he was on. So I, I, I'm definitely kind of with you on that one. I just don't think they'll be seven. I think he'll probably be eight. He'll play against Boston and probably get absolutely destroyed. But it'll be... It'll be something I'll keep an eye on, but I probably won't watch too closely. I can kind of see how this team's going to play out, minus if Colin Sexton's real or not. But that leads us into what the spirits of the NBA are telling my clairvoyant abilities. And that is that this team is definitely not going to make the playoffs. And <laughs> yeah, maybe that's an easy prediction to make. Maybe that's not too much out of the realm of possibility. But there's a, I think, you know, you've got, you've got Ty Lue now without LeBron. They've basically need to draw up all new plays because their center point is no longer this big distributor uh, that, that thrives off of pick and roll and mid post action. They basically need to play a whole new system. And it's great because they have the same cast However, their castmates uh, that are critical to them moving forward aren't really on board. So Sexton being new, Rodney Hood, Jordan Clarkson, that's kind of where you'd see the future of this team being with how old they're started, the rest of their starting lineup is and some of their other guys. But they aren't quite uh, invested in a system yet, what I've seen. And that can cause some real problems if... To, you know, training camp hasn't gone well. I don't think we've seen them in a preseason game yet, so I could be totally wrong on this, which who knows? A lot of things can happen, but that's just the, the easy we'll go with the safe answer there with this one. So let's talk about uh, why First Bagwell loves the Cleveland Cavaliers. And speaking from, uh, you know, six to 18 hours away, you know, Michael, what does First Bagwell think about this team? I believe in Ty Lue. I don't think he has a system. I don't think he can coach in the regular season. But I think what he can do is once you get him in the playoffs, he can make some in-game adjustments and steal you a win even though you're a seven seed, game one in Toronto. That's what I can see from Ty Lue. I think he's a good coach under pressure, but I don't think he's a good coach to kind of manage a, you know, a team into the playoffs, if that makes sense. I think you know, game to game, he can probably crank out some wins, but can he kind of put it all together for, oh, we're going to have a seven-game road trip through the West. And we need to try and win five of these games. You know, I, I don't know if Ty Lue can really bring that to the table. You know, he's kind of a lot like a, you know, kind of like a J.R. Smith, where he's, it's almost like he's very streaky at coaching. 
you know i mean yeah that's a good way it's to like put he, it. he can get on kind of a hot streak and he can win a title and then he can kind of do the opposite and it's like oh man are they going to get bounced in the first round by the pacers are they even going to make the playoffs lebron you got to play every game and so it's fun i mean he keeps them interesting i'll tell you that and that's why i think first bagel loves tyloo that's a pretty decent reason. I thought they would have liked him just from the Allen Iverson meme from years ago, but that works too. <laughs> that leads us into, of course, our favorite point guard that could or could not make this team better, and that is Nate Robinson. So what is your opinion on uh, a version of Nate Robinson making this team better? I think he absolutely could. I think you swap him. You swap out J.R. Smith and put in Nate Robinson any, any period of J- Nate Robinson. Today in Big Three, ten years ago when he was winning the dunk contest, it doesn't matter. He's basically an upgrade of J.R. Smith, with the New York Knicks history all all in it too. Give me Nate Robinson over J.R. Smith in 2018, and I was gonna say just get rid of Jordan Clarkson and Ron Hood and put <laughs> Nate Robinson in instead and just play him off the bench. But hey, that works too, I guess. All right, so we need three Nate Robinsons on this team. <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. It got one from the Knicks, one from the Bulls, and one from Big Three, and we're all set. <laughs> Give them the Nate trifecta. There we go. And speaking of trifectas, of course, our always our long-term sponsor, Taco Bell, with their trifecta box now at Taco Bell, where you can get a burrito, a chalupa, and a taco all in the same box for $5. Uh, leads us to ask are you more excited about the trifecta box or are you more excited about the cavaliers i'm actually more excited maybe maybe just a hair like a 5149 like a 5149 electoral college type of victory for cleveland only because i kind of want to see how kevin love can kind of change his game without lebron being there now you know like the hangover in Cleveland doesn't seem as gloomy, as as dire, as you know, as as Titanic as it was in the summer of 2010. So. That's reasonable. I'm gonna have to totally disagree with you and say just fuck Cleveland. I'm tired of them winning. <laughs> I'm tired of them getting you know multiple number one draft picks over the course of you know a four year gap, where they then draft Anthony Bennett and totally just. Fuck everything. Um, give me a Taco Bell box. Just straighten my stomach. I won't even taste it. And uh, it'll save me a ton of time and money. You know, I'm, I'm going to watch Colin Sexton highlights. I'm probably never going to watch this team unless LeBron comes back and there's a whole bunch of booze and burning jerseys again. So that's my opinion. I fuck Cleveland. So... <laughs> Uh, any any uh, final questions or comments before we sort of wrap up this episode, Michael? So we talked about the Suns, the Knicks, and the Cavs. You know, kind of three teams where on paper they're probably looking a little bit better than kind of on the court. You know, kind of an interesting theme we kind of have here at the Heart of the Paint is, uh, you know, this kind of team on paper that, seems to be a lot better than the team that actually materializes on the court. And so I think that's something to look out for this next season is a lot of these teams that look good on paper, you know, you know, maybe it'll kind of go all the way to the extreme, maybe a team like Boston, which looks, you know, nigh unstoppable outside of Golden State. Maybe they don't quite get it together. Maybe Boogie wrecks all that team chemistry in Golden State, you know, maybe these teams that seem to have it all kind of figured out don't really uh, produce come come two weeks from now. That's a, that's a great point. I mean, as much as I love predictions and previews, it's always important to remember that things go wrong, people get injured. Let's look at the Timberwolves over the past eight months. It looked like that team was reasonably peachy clean and stacked on paper, and they're just falling apart as we speak. Look at Look at the Knicks. It was... Everyone was on the optimism train, going full steam, you know, underneath the bridge. And then Porzingis gets injured, and it changes the game plan entirely for the next year and a half to two years. 
So, you know, it's very important to keep these things in mind. As we like to say, get, you know, take anything we say here with a grain of David, but you'll be all right. <laughs> Hopefully we illuminated some of what could be going on in the NBA here for you tonight. And with that, we will leave you all for this wonderful edition of the Heart in the Paint podcast. Uh, of course, we love your questions, comments, and concerns either in our email or our links below or in the comments section. You know, we're, we've recently kind of updated our Google Play. Still find us on SoundCloud. That's the best way to get in contact with the podcast. And we'll be gracing your earbuds next week with some more team previews as the preseason slowly but surely continues on. Have a great, fantastic day, everybody. <laughs>